Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Everybody, welcome back to the Real Food Real Conversations podcast. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, we are in episode 50, which is awesome. It's such a cool, even number. I love that. And today I'm talking to my friend Bree about a topic I think that um, we need to talk a lot more about, even though I feel like I see it, it around a lot, but we really need to start honing in on this. And that is diet culture. And I'm so excited to have her here today um, to chat about that. Um, Bree, thank you for being here. Do you want to tell everybody who you are, what you do? Um, you have an amazing site, so share. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. Um, so my name is Bree, and I am a plant-based food blogger. Um, I'm also a PhD student. I study sociology, and I've been food blogging for the last two and a half, three years. Um, but I've been plant-based since 2013. Um, wow. Basically, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's been, it, that's what I was going to say. I was basically going to say, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it's it's been quite some time now. Yeah, and uh, you're getting a PhD. That's awesome. Um, are you, is that why you're in New York for your PhD Yeah, program? yes, definitely. I'm originally from um, Baltimore, Maryland. Awesome. But I've been in New York the last two years. Awesome. That's so exciting. Congrats. What a, Thank just you. an achievement. That's so awesome. Um, I always thought I actually was going to get my PhD. Um, I have my master's and then I was actually looking at doing a doctorate in education. And then um, I got married and had kids and all that, that went down real fast. So no, I totally, I no, honestly, I totally understand that. Sometimes I ask myself, am I getting into a career that's going to let me be a mom? But that's like a whole nother conversation. But yes, no, sometimes, um, higher ed and professional degrees are definitely really time consuming. So I totally understand. But I think it's great. I just, especially sociology, I think it's such a great, I mean, what a great place to start because you could do so much with that. And um, it's, I just love learning. So I think that's, you know, just great that you're doing that. And, you know, what an awesome um, even role model for your kids one day, um, if you choose to have kids to, you know, see a mom who has gone and met their goals and all that stuff. I think that's fabulous. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and I love your site. So I know when I was looking, so on Instagram, you're known as plant-based free. Yes. And then your website is called where she begins. So I can explain that. So basically it's, I started food blogging around, like I said, two years, two and a half, three years ago, but I started blogging probably late 2014, early 2015. Um, so initially I was just a lifestyle, um, blogger talking about a range of different things from, um, wellness to kind of like minimalistic living to beauty and natural hair products, um, clean beauty, quote unquote. And I, I don't like even using that term anymore, but we can talk about that too. Um, totally. <laughs> so yeah, that's where, I, that's where I started. Um, but then plant-based free came about because. I was in a space where I felt like I, so food to me is much more than like eating to feed my body. I think that's great. And I'm, I totally understand how some people can just look at food as like, oh, this is what I need to, you know, survive. But for me, food is just so much more of a bigger experience. Um, it's just something about spending time in the kitchen. I, I come from um, a line of women who cook all of my grand, my, both my grandmothers, like great grandma and grandma, um, they were both cooks. Um, and I just think it's something whenever I'm in the kitchen, I feel as though I'm kind of like in my home frequency. I feel as though like I'm in like my vibe. Like, so it's definitely one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I like food so much and blogging is great, but it's better to blog about something that gives you a lot of joy while you're creating the content. So it really doesn't feel like work. Um, so that's when I kind of pivoted towards focusing a lot on being a food blogger, got into food photography. I just really trying to develop recipes and learn more about food, food combining, 
all of that stuff, basically just get a better understanding of what it was like to be a food blogger and like really take it seriously. So everything is host still under where she begins because that's like almost my shot. I can't let it go. But yeah, later on in the year, I am definitely separating the two because I do think that it's time because over the last, like I said, two and a half years, plant-based Brie has just grown beyond my, like my wildest imagination. I know that might sound like pretty rehearsed, but I promise you it's not. No, not at all. I was doing this for like basically a break from school (laughs) and it turned in like as a passion project and it's totally turned into like a place where I'm not only, you know, in a predicament now that I'm really grateful for to like, you know, have money and, and, and kind of financially support myself by doing this on a grad student salary, but I'm also just really growing a a community. And I just really love that. Um, so yeah, no, that's why it's, a little bit confusing in terms of like where my site is hosted, but plant-based brie is definitely where you're going to get all of the food related content. Awesome. And if you guys don't follow brie, you absolutely need to. Her food looks incredible. I'm sure it tastes incredible. Um, but it's, she has just gorgeous photos. I mean, like you said, like you can tell it's your passion. I literally look at it and I want to eat my phone. I'm like, this looks amazing. (laughs) I mean, your, your crab cakes, like, and I totally totally connect with you there. Food to me also is just more than just fueling your body. And I don't understand like when people say like, Oh, I'm just going to eat it. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to say waste my calories. Cause it sounds like I care about counting calories, which I don't, but I don't want to waste a full stomach on something that isn't just amazing and brings me joy. You know, like I just, those times that you get something, there's nothing worse than um, getting something at a restaurant or making something and it's mediocre. You're like, oh, oh, I know. really? <laughs> no, for sure. Um, so I get that. And um, yeah, everything you do sounds great. And I'm just, congratulations on making it something more. I think that's so awesome. I just, I love it. And I know how much, how poor you can be on a student salary because I've been Ooh, there. Yeah, yes. It's, I've been there. And <laughs> My dad is actually, um, my dad got his PhD when I was, um, he was getting his PhD when I was born. He was getting it over in Boston. And my mom to this day, you know, talks about like how they lived in a little apartment in Boston and one bedroom. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a baby at the time. And um, yeah, they, they drove this, like, they had one car there, this old dark blue hatchback Datsun, which is like old school car. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it was crazy. And, and, you know, he became a professor and researcher. Um, you know, he, when we moved from Boston to San Diego, it was at San Diego state. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's a passion that you do, but, you know, PhD professorship, it's, it doesn't necessarily, um, you know, make you rich by any means. Oh my goodness. No. And I'm so, and it's funny because I think that's also like another misconception. So online, because I, Honestly, it's like blogging, food blogging is a great form of procrastinating from reading a lot of books. Um, And that's really what being in a PhD program is sometimes. Uh, So I'll tell people like, like, y'all, this isn't my full-time job. Like, I want to help as much as I can, but like, I definitely need to graduate because I'm so tired of one, being a student and two, living on a grad student salary. Like it is just, everything that I do is done in my tiny one bedroom New York apartment. And I just have to make it work because exactly we do not make that much money. Yeah. I mean, it's, you just have to make it work. I mean, I'll tell you, my parents started like that, started from nothing. They're both immigrants to the United States from Greece and um, they had nothing when they started their life. I mean, they said that they used to eat with plastic forks and spoons. Like that's how, you know, much nothing they had and they pocketed everything and worked their butts off. And, you know, now they live an incredible life. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's all about passion and, and just keep keeping at your goals. Um, but I just love following Brie. So if you do not follow her, make sure you go follow her, um, oh, which leads us to the topic. I know that, um, I don't, I know that you are passionate about food. What led you into being passionate about diet culture? Um, okay, so this is actually something that's new to me, and I'll explain why. I've always been someone that understood um, how nutrition and kind of like workout culture or sometimes health and wellness spaces 
are filled with a particular body type. Mm-hmm. And while I was in, um, in undergrad, I was a public health major at first. Well, that was my major, but I really thought that I was going to be pre-med and like kind of get into the medical industry. And I soon realized that a lot of what I thought um, impacted your health and your well-being, like through nutrition, that is just like such a small portion. So I, that's kind of like how I pivoted to sociology. And honestly, my realization or like how I'm beginning to confront diet culture is very much connected to my academic journey and very much connected to kind of the personal journey that I'm on right now. Um, I've been in therapy for, for roughly like two years now. And I'm just really like trying to figure out what it's like to be um, in your mid twenties, kind of just navigating life. And I've realized that so much of my life and the way that I viewed high periods of my life and the way that I understood how to have a kind of paint, like picture perfect life. So much of that was also connected to an image of myself that I had. And so, and that image was also never the way that I looked. It was always 10 or 15 pounds thinner. Um, And I just, that kind of troubled me. And I was like, you know, I need to figure out why have I always thought that I needed to lose X amount of weight? Like, why has that always been a thing for me? Uh, So I began to kind of like do more research into diet culture and listen to podcasts by dietitians who kind of talk on the issue and they do it from an intersectional perspective, because I think so much of diet culture is connected to beauty culture. Um, And as a Black woman, I think beauty culture for Black women can sometimes be um, you, you learn what's acceptable and what's not acceptable through a lot of different experiences. And sometimes those can, those can be very like harsh or traumatizing experiences. Um, so for me, I was like, you know, I need to take a step back and just really understand why do I have such an issue with my body? Like, where is this coming from? And I just realized that since I was, as I was like reflecting and like really working on this, it's taken me months to actually get to this point, even for me to like share it publicly. Um, But I was like, wow, ever since I was like 14, I have always said that I need to lose X amount of weight as a New Year's resolution. And I'm, I'm, well, now I'm 27, I just had a birthday. But I was like, that was a a large portion of my life where I've never been happy with my body. And I'm just like, okay, what happens in your preteens or your young teenage years that really influence that? And I immediately learned how much of diet culture is connected to media and beauty standards and things like that. And I was like, wow, like we really need to have some of these conversations in the wellness space. Um, So I pivoted to the wellness space and like saw how some dietitians were talking about um, social media's effects on body image and, and diet culture and things of that nature. But what I really was, what I felt was missing from the conversation was people interrogating when they first started to dislike their body. Um, So for me, I think the way that I kind of tapped into learning about diet culture and finding ways to kind of reject diet culture and kind of understand that my body is my body and I can be on a plant-based diet and gain 40 pounds and I can be on a plant-based diet and lose 30 pounds. And at the end of the day, my body is still my body. Um, If I'm never going to accept it at any at any um, size, I'm never going to learn to accept my body at all. Uh, So that's basically how my journey has been. It's been, like I said, a a long journey. It's been kind of years of living under the guise of diet culture, then also a lot of right now months of unlearning so many negative beliefs I had about my body and where they came from. Um, And I also just think it's one of those things where once you start to learn about diet culture, you literally see it everywhere when you get on your phone, when you turn on the TV, when you watch movies, like it's just so in, in, ingrained in our culture that I think it really takes an active effort to unlearn um, a lot of the negative beliefs that diet culture puts on us. I totally, I mean, I just, I literally get chills when you talk about your story. And I have to tell you that as a 27 year old woman, you are actually um, so ahead of the game for so many. Oh, like, thank you. You really are. I mean, I'm turning 44 in July and I'm recently beginning to really think about this. And I am a very petite woman. I am five feet tall and I would say I average about a hundred pounds in general, not when I'm pregnant, obviously. Um, But so it's, 
I, I see it. It's interesting because, you know, I also as a woman have had this, you know, thought about my body, even though I'm a whole different size. And I have recently, you know, kind of tried as well to think about diet culture, and how that affects me. And not only that, but to also realize that my privilege in so many ways that, gosh, like I've, I've looked outside of my, you know, box and seen like, for example, like I have a friend whose mother had a stroke and um, she had a stroke and they, you know, relate a lot of it to her, you know, exercise and diet. She is a larger woman and the doctors don't even like, she was telling me how the doctors like don't even really acknowledge her and aren't really even talking about like, like just really anything. And I, I have started looking at so much of this and well, I wonder how many of these doctors have made this assumption about her because of her size that exactly. maybe she doesn't want to get better or she doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's a problem everywhere. And it's not just even like it's, it's leaking out into so many different spaces and, and not just even like the, uh, I mean, the online world is like crazy riddled with it, but I'm starting <laughs> to open my eyes and notice how many other areas it affects as simple as like, yeah, you're in the hospital. And because you're a larger size, people make assumptions about um, you. I don't know, caring about your health, I guess, no, definitely. in a way. And that's why, yes, 100%. And that's why I think for me, as someone who had interest in being a medical practitioner and then deciding not to, I think a lot of that has to do with my own interactions with doctors. Like if you talk to my mother, she will tell you that probably since, and I played sports in high school. So that's interesting too, because they're like, oh, diet is connected to exercise. And you need exercise to be healthy, but that's a whole nother conversation. But basically yeah. if I, when I would go to the pediatrician, they would be like, oh, you need to lose weight. And I'm probably since I was like 11, they would, they would say this. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, even in the medical industry, they're so quick to think that everything yes. is associated with weight and not yes. necessarily understanding that weight can be a factor and, and, and definitely can correlate to certain medical outcomes, but it's not a holistic picture. And no. it's so much important. It's so important to look beyond just the number on the scale, because for one, that's so misleading. And for two, it's not, it's, it's really just a very, very minuscule portion of the entire picture. And it's, I agree. It's, it's sad that doctors, you know, it's really sad that doctors, because you think that I'll never forget. I went this, oh my goodness. In undergrad, I went to the doctor because I was like, my stomach is like really hurting me. I'm having issues with digestion. Um, I eat a plant-based diet. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's something that I'm eating that may be like too much fiber, like all of these things trying to talk to the doctor. And the first thing she goes is, oh, you don't eat meat? I'm like, no, don't eat meat. She's like, okay. So then she's like thinking, thinking. And she's like, do you eat a lot of gluten? And at the time I was definitely consuming gluten, but I also just was not trying to like have a, a what, are, what do you eat kind of conversation with a doctor, but I yeah. felt like I needed to answer the question. So I was doing it and I was like, yes, I eat gluten. I was like, but I don't think this is connected to gluten because it doesn't only hurt when I eat gluten. Yeah. And she's like, okay, what do you eat a lot of? And I was like, I eat rice every day, but rice doesn't have gluten. And she's, she's like, no, no, rice does have gluten. She's like, so tonight what you're going to do is fast and you're going to come in the morning and do blood work, but just, just definitely like stop eating so much rice because rice can definitely like um, trigger up gluten allergies. And I was like, okay, thank you're you. Like, Cause I mean, you're like, I'm a, no, <laughs> no. At the time I was like, oh, maybe I'm really wrong. Like maybe rice does, does have gluten and I just didn't know and I was like really eating so much gluten I had no idea I'm like this is a doctor they, they clearly must know what they're talking about so I leave the doctor's office I'm like oh thank you so much thank you like and I'm like leaving I'm like oh my god I'm doing this to myself like I really eat so much gluten because if rice has gluten then I eat gluten literally every single day and I go home and I'm just like this doesn't feel right though like I swear rice doesn't have gluten so I go on google google says rice does not have gluten and I'm like, why would, a, why would a doctor try to diagnose me with celiac disease because I tell them that I eat rice? And come to find out, it's because a lot of medical practitioners don't even have um, 
a lot of nutrition training. They'll take right. one semester or half of a semester of nutrition right. training. And then everyone sees them as kind of the know-all and all of yep. diet and nutrition. And that is just clearly not the case. No. And it's like, and you know what I've even found, cause I totally a hundred percent agree with you that food and nutrition is one small portion of the overall wellness puzzle. You know, wellness is more, yeah, you should be, you know, like diet is part of it, you know, exercise is part of it, but there's so much of that that has to do with things other than diet and exercise, the mental well-being. I mean, I have learned, I've been working with a functional uh, medicine doctor the last about year and a half. Um, I think it's been about a year and a half now because um, I went through a period of early onset menopause and um, had pretty much like anxiety attacks like every single day as I was going through it. And I couldn't tolerate the medication longer than a month. And so I decided to go more natural route. And I'm finding that for me, my mental health and my, like when my anxiety peaks, when I'm feeling stressed, I get physical symptoms and actually have real physical symptoms. Like I have a cold or a bug or whatever. And it's actually more connected to my mental health than it is to an actual bug or virus or something I ate. Yes, no, and that's the thing. I feel like if if the doctors would take a step back, they might have been able to kind of make that connection um, for you. But it's really great that you had the intuition to make that connection for yourself. I'm definitely an advocate of someone like explaining to people that it's really important for you to listen to your body. At the yes. end of the day, you live in this house. This is your house. And yep. you know if something is wrong. There, you can run a hundred tests. You can kind of think, of, you can even take note of like, oh, I might be allergic to this or things like that. But at the end of the day, it's how whatever said food or whatever you put in your body makes you feel. There's no other, you know, better detector for that than you. Right. I mean, we're, we're the experts in our own life. And, and all of a sudden it's like doctors, you know, it, well, some doctors are amazing, but you know, sometimes, you know, the diet culture enters the medical field and doctors either make assumptions based on your size, make assumptions based on your race, make assumptions based on your sex. And I mean, I've been to a doctor before that I feel treated me differently because I was a woman and treat, like, I remember I had a blood clot. Um, when I had my second son, I developed a blood clot in my leg in the hospital after I delivered. And so um, the hospital had me doing, you know, you know, it was, I had to do all these ultrasounds and whatever. And, and thank God it wasn't a DVT. It was just superficial, but I had to follow up with um, a uh, vein specialist and they wanted me to also um, see, I had to see a regular doctor to get referred because at the time I was on an HMO and I went to this doctor and he was a man and I will never forget that he talked down to me like I was a total idiot because I was a woman um, because the doctor was recommended by a male uh, like friend, family friend of ours that who loved him and basically blew off my blood clot like it wasn't a big deal and I was like um okay uh, it is a big deal and I'm going to go see somebody else. I was, I just felt so like, you know, that sinking feeling like, yes, that's so, no, for sure. Yes. It's just awful. So I feel like diet culture, I mean, it's such an interwoven thing and connected to, you know, sexism and racism and all that stuff. It's like mm -hmm. all in this one tight ball um, mm -hmm. and we see it everywhere and it's true. Like there's hell healthy and wellness, health and wellness can be at every size, no matter, you know, what size you are, you know, right. there's, it doesn't just because you're thin does not mean you are healthy or well in any way whatsoever. For sure. For sure. <laughs> um, and, and I think, even, I, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think, and, and even with that, like the, the story that you were telling, I think it's again, so important that you need to advocate for yourself because something else that will happen is kind of like, if you're someone who is in a world that is entrenched with diet culture and you begin to kind of understand what it is, understand how unhealthy it is and kind of creates unrealistic expectations or images um, of your like of yourself and how you should look, when you begin to see it everywhere and you kind of call it out, people will kind of make it seem like it's something in your head. And yes. it's a very similar instance of like you having to have kind of the agency and the ability to kind of know when you're feeling as though someone 
is trying to push a belief onto you in terms of like in a health and wellness space solely based off of diet culture. Like yes. I cannot, I, I've told um, people because right now I'm searching for a new primary care doctor, which is a to- it's, it's hard to do, especially like with COVID and like yes. offices kind of having like all these weird policies right now. But nonetheless, I'm looking for a new primary position. And I keep saying the one red flag that I'm always going to have is when I go like get a physical if they suggest anything about weight loss the first time they meet me. Yep. Because again, I don't want to, I don't, because I'm trying so hard and literally I say hard, like every single day, I have to remind myself or even like in moments throughout the day to kind of reject thoughts that I have about my body, because I know that it's coming from a space. That's not me. It's coming from like outside influences, but nonetheless, I don't want to have to put myself in a predicament where I'm having to always advocate for myself in a medical situation yeah, because I no longer want to ascribe to diet culture. And sometimes that can be really hard. So for me, like when I have my little checklist of like what I'm looking for in a practitioner, them not mentioning my weight on the first visit is, is one of those things. That's such a great, that's such a great tip for anybody listening that, cause it's exhausting always. I can only imagine like how exhausting it is for people that have to counteract every, people's assumptions all day, every day, you know, like, it's just, I can only imagine that how exhausting that is when you live in that world where you're constantly being judged based on the way you look. And it's something that we are born with. Like, you know, I mean, we teach young children and we teach people that you don't make fun of people that might have, you know, um, let's say someone has a, um, like, uh, I don't know, deformity in their face. Like, would you ever go up and like judge them for that? And why are, what's the difference between judging people based on their size? You know, like it's, it's not something, it's just who we are. And I don't know. It's, it's exactly, I know. I think it's also one of those things too, where when you begin to learn how pervasive diet culture is, you also, even regardless of where you are, like in your, in your health and wellness journey, because as someone who's had disordered eating for a large part of their life, particularly in, excuse me, particularly in um, like preteen teenage years, I really struggled with disordered eating. And I think you start to, when you start to notice how diet culture operates, it also kind of allows you to kind of acknowledge certain privileges. So, and I think that's kind of like what you're tapping into too, though, in terms of just being able to acknowledge how exhausting it must be for people in larger bodies to kind of have to navigate spaces and consistently advocate for themselves and consistently say, you know, this has nothing to do with my weight. Like I need you to see me as a holistic person beyond, you know, my measurements or number on a scale. Because I'm just thinking about, for me, when I was going through the process of kind of like unlearning negative beliefs about my body and about, you know, diet culture, it never dawned on me that regardless of how large I felt, and even if, you know, the BMI, which is a terrible measure, Oh my gosh. Yes. But like, even if that says that like I'm obese or excessively obese, I still have the ability to go into stores and find clothing. And because diet culture is always going to make you feel as though you need to be more thin or you need to change your body in some way, whether that be gain weight or just something like that, because it's always going to make you feel as though you need to attain something that you cannot attain that has to also be exhausting when you're trying to find things that fit for your body. And the fashion industry is just another terrible, terrible place that is just entrenched in diet culture. And so even in my moments of, you know, kind of working through therapy and kind of, you know, taking a step back and realizing that that I've kind of bought into diet culture since I was a teenager, I also was able to acknowledge certain privileges and just recognize that like, we have to start having these conversations more because I think, the more that we talk about them, the more it'll be easier for people to kind of unlearn certain ideals that they've gotten from diet culture. Right. And I mean, the fashion industry is just, I mean, I, as I said, I am a petite person. It's the way I was born. I remember 
my whole life, I've always just admired those bodies that were, that had long legs and it not, not necessarily thin, but it, to me, it was more the like, I have short legs. I'm short. I mean, it is what it is, but I look at, you know, women with longer legs of all sizes, honestly. And I've always like, gosh, you know, amazing of these long legs. I have like rarely ever found my size clothing in my size leg. And it's always like flabbergasted me that who is my size that has legs two feet taller than mine? Because that's unhealthy. Like, like how no, are, sure. how are you? I mean, it's like, I have pants that I've had to, I mean, I tailor everything, but it's, that's the problem is that we aren't making like so much of the clothing today is not based on real bodies. Oh real my goodness. I know. Yes. And also it's made up. Like I cannot explain yes. to you how many times, like, I swear, like I'll shop in a, a store consistently across like four or five years and my body will definitely change within those four or five years but the the sizes are so arbitrary like some months I'll fit a medium in a store and I'll go right back yeah and the medium will fit totally different or just it's just never consistent I just think that like when you learn that also people basically what you're saying about different body types a lot of it is only made to serve one type of body type and that body type is connected to diet culture. So, well, so again, it's just so hard to like kind of break away from this, yes. from this system or from this like process or, or yeah, I guess system is a better word because well, it's just all around us. Right. It's like you cut one cord and then you find another one that connects to exactly. another one. It's like yep. a never ending. Well, and that's like, you know, I, my husband, you know, I, anytime I find something that fits me really well as a petite person, like when I find something that fits me well, I like, I'm like, I need three of these because it's, you know, I'm the very other end of the spectrum, but it's challenging to find things. And so I just, it's all opened my eyes. And I think it's a lot of it is just today's world that we're in, that we have things that are coming to the surface that, you know, we need to talk about, like you said, the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we become in battling what they are. And it's uncomfortable to talk about these things sometimes, especially as related to bodies, you know, um, bigger bodies and, you know, different races. And it's, it can be uncomfortable for people, but much, I believe like um, therapy, like I believe we need to talk more about that. I think we need to normalize it and realize like, I mean, we've done a ton of therapy in my family. My son has anxiety and he was with a therapist for a while as we worked through some of that. My husband and I have been through couples therapy and that doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Honestly, I believe therapy means you're striving to get, to make yourself a better person and that should be celebrated. Mm -hmm, That should be celebrated. You know, like why do we call a plumber when something's wrong with our pipes, but we can't call a therapist when we need to work through a problem like why Mm -hmm. is that a problem and I think it's all connected honestly back to diet culture in the fact that we have portrayed online these perfect lives we look online and you know frankly like what most of America says is that the perfect picture is a super thin fit white woman living in this picture perfect Pinterest house and that's not most of our realities. Exactly. No, I mean, it's true. And then you bring on the topic of being a mom and I'm, you know, I have sons, but, and I've had people say to me before, well, you're so lucky you don't have daughters. And I'm like, actually, I disagree with that. I actually think that whether you have a son or your daughter, my goal is to raise my sons with a, um, a model of a woman that isn't what they see online, a model of a woman that is strong, that is beautiful in all, you know, sizes in all races and everything. And I mean, I hope I'm doing a really good job, but it's hard, you know, no, it is. it's, it's you're hard working against a machine that you literally have no control over. That's, that's the way that I like to kind of think about social media's tie to, um, 
die culture and like toxic positivity in terms of like thinking that oh like similar to what you were saying about therapy how it's definitely important that we you know seek therapists in times of need but then you have people who are saying oh you need to be positive all the time and it's like no sometimes if you continue to like compartmentalize or like you were saying carry on a facade or social media it it's going to pile up and it's never really going to allow you to kind of work through whatever issue you may have and that's kind of like my thing too it's like they're on a very similar plane somewhere diet culture and toxic positivity mixing with social media can always create just a very un unhealthy and kind of unproductive environment for people who are really trying to learn themselves and learn to accept themselves where they are but then also still you know have goals and aspirations of bettering themselves which I think is right is completely always applicable regardless of where you are in life I love that toxic positivity I I haven't heard of that of it being described that way and I love that because it's true like it, we are not positive all the time and that's okay that's actually good because you're allowing yourself to feel these emotions and you know back in January um, I lost my cat who was my best friend oh, for sorry 20 years that. have, oh that's so great it's it was just it was terrible and I've had I had him for 20 years of my life I had him before my husband before my kids and and you know he was old and I knew eventually at some point you know he was old like he was gonna go but it was so hard for me. And I basically said to my husband and to my kids, and I said, I am going to be sad for a while and that's okay. I need to be able to work through these feelings of mine. I need to be able to process this. I don't want you to try and make me feel better. I, I want to be able to sit in my bed and watch my stupid shows and read my books and just allow myself to cry and, and process my feelings yes, because- for sure it's so important to, and be okay with that. And my son, my oldest son, you know, he bawled with me and we just sat there and I, I said, you know, it's okay to be sad. Like, and you know what, it's okay to be sad, like in next month about it too. Like it's, it's a process. Definitely, and, yes, no. and that's like the toxic positivity is such a good point with everything you see online. And I've actually made a, a big effort, um, I try when I go on there, like every month I go and I look for new accounts because I just, I love, you know, meeting new people and being exposed, but I've actually really making an effort to try and follow, um, you know, accounts that you don't usually see. Like, I love just different images of, like you said, of body types of the way people look like I, I want to fill my feed with differences. I don't want my feet to look the same. And I just don't, I don't want my feet to look the same. It's, it's boring. And I've really opened my eyes a lot too. that, you know, this, you know, whole world of, you know, we've been infiltrating with the one image and we Mm -hmm. need to start seeing others, other images. And it just makes me happy where people, when people have, you know, just are getting the courage to get online and to start social media accounts when they maybe aren't your typical, um, I don't know, typical like influencer, I guess you can no, say. No, yes. And I, I'm definitely one of those people on my feed. I have a plethora of different people from different cultures, different ethnicities, nationalities, body types, gender identities. And I think for me, it really allows me to get a better perspective on what's going on. Definitely yes. in terms of the, in the food and wellness space. I think sometimes if you kind of just stay in your own little bubble, you actually miss a lot. Like I just learned, yes. I'm always learning and I'm so grateful for people who decide to turn, you know, their passion projects into large online platforms or decide to share their stories. Because I think there's always um, the ability to learn and take away from people's lived experiences that that's probably the sociologist in me. Yeah. Um, but I just really do enjoy, like you're saying, kind of diversifying my feet in, a, in a, a magnitude of ways or a plethora of ways in order for me to kind of make sure that I'm not missing anything, but also for me to continue to learn. Because I think that's one thing, like I am, even though, like I said, I've been on this journey and really, because in the journey of kind of, 
how do I want to frame this? In the journey of acknowledging what, 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 what diet culture is, you also are going to grow into, a, you may grow into a space where it may become difficult for you to have conversations with certain friend or family members who are still very much connected to diet culture and very much connected to, oh, I want to do whole, I want to do whole 30. I want to try a keto diet. I want to try this diet or that diet. Um, so you're, you're going to have to, it's not going to be like all easy breezy throughout the, throughout the journey, but I've also really learned how to have some uncomfortable conversations about setting boundaries, about conversations about my body, conversations about diets and things like that from other people online who have had these experiences. And like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's just really important for you to kind of make sure people that you follow online can teach you as much as, as much as you can enjoy the aesthetic part of it as well. Yeah. I think there's so much great to have it take away from the people that you follow. Well, and it, it, if we're not growing, if we're not learning, like really where are we going in life? And that's to me, overall wellness, wellness doesn't not necessarily just have to do with like what you eat and what you exercise, but wellness is a growth of the mind. And, and, um, mindfulness, like that's a big part of my, my um, brand is mindfulness. And my part, a pillar of mindfulness is um, going into life with a beginner's mind, meaning that you're open and willing and want to learn. And it's, you know, non-judgmental. It's accepting all, like you said, all sizes and races and ethnicities without a judgment that perhaps is hard because, you know, the way we were raised, the, whatever it is, it's, we have ingrained things in us and we have to work at that change. It's not just going to come naturally. And you can't just say like, oh, I accept all people. Anybody can say that, but it's those subconscious thoughts and those, those things that you do that creep up that you have to take a step back and, and work at changing that work and changing your assumptions. You know, if you see a, you know, account, like you said, maybe a bigger body, um, and you make an assumption that, oh, they're unhealthy. You know, that is a subconscious assumption you make based on diet culture and based on the way you were brought up and what you experienced. And you want to get to a place where those uh, subconscious assumptions, like they stop. And that's when, you know, you truly like really are working at change. Yes. And that's the thing. Yes. The, the unlearning part is because it's one thing to acknowledge, right? It's one thing right. to be able to, and, and don't get me wrong, that's a very important step. But I think the step that requires the most work and the most consistency is the unlearning because it's yeah. so easy for you to fall back into um, adopting certain beliefs or attitudes about what wellness means and how you define wellness and what healthy means and and, you know, what kind of diet is an ideal diet. I say that in the air quotes, uh, but still it's very easy for you to have pictures in your mind of what these things are. So, but that, that picture has also been conditioned. It's not something that yes. you just randomly thought of. So yep. the, 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 the work comes in when you want to make sure that that picture in your mind is from you. It's your own self-definition, your own kind of expectations on what being healthy and what wellness is. And like I said, it, it's not all smooth sailing. It definitely is a, a process and a journey, but it's super rewarding. Um, Agreed. So I would encourage everyone to just kind of think about, you know, where, where they got their ideas about their body, how they talk to their body, how they speak to their body, what they think about diets, why they think that they should be on a diet and what that is and what they hope to get out of a diet and really evaluate is what they hope to get out of it a, a, a true possibility if, if it's a realistic expectation. I think just, you know, just doing that self-work is really going to kind of just tie into everything we've been talking about and kind of give you a better holistic perspective on being um, a more whole and healthier person um, from, um, from all aspects and areas. Those are just some great questions. I love that. I love those questions. That, like that's a great set of questions to ask yourself. Cause you know, I, I also think on the other side that, um, you know, is somebody that wants to lose weight for the right reasons. I don't think again, that should necessarily be judged, judging that person and saying, Oh, you're just falling into diet culture because some people, you know, like after you have a baby, you know, you have gained a ton of weight, you know, being pregnant and, you know, within each pregnancy, again, that's a whole nother, um, you know, culture of 
what you should look like, what, what kind of weight you should gain. I mean, I have had three babies and I will tell you that my first baby, I gained probably um, 30 plus pounds, 35 pounds. And that's a lot for my body. But then my second child, I only gained like 20. And then my third child, I gained like 25. And I was different through each pregnancy. But then there's this, this, this picture and these standards that you're, you're, that are put upon a pregnant woman, like how much you should gain. Are you gaining enough? Are you gaining too much? What you should eat? And, and it's, it's crazy that it infiltrates even that. And then when you're done having this baby, a lot of people talk about wanting to get their body back. And that's a whole nother problem. Cause it's like, what body you just birthed a child. And yeah, we do, you, you do want to lose that extra weight that you gained, but you may not lose all of it. You may only lose some of it and that's okay. And as long as you're really, truly healthy and strong and, and I'll tell you, I'm still a petite woman because that's the way I was born, but my body has changed a ton since I've had babies and I'm starting to um, accept and love that I actually, it's a positive change. I feel so much stronger now. I, um, it's just a different, you know, it's, it's different. And I look at it as my body is strong. You know, I birthed three freaking babies. Like exactly. And that always, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that you arrived at that place to just kind of, you know, extend compassion to your body and understanding and grace, because exactly you, you created and housed and birthed three humans. So, you know, but as someone who, who doesn't have children, I'm always so disheartened by the pressure of like, I, I see on social media in terms of women having a quote unquote, like snapback after having yeah. children. I just think that that is just one of the most malicious and one of the most counterproductive examples of guy culture that you have. Because in that moment, you're saying that as soon as you're done and, and, you know, I've heard people refer to after giving birth to there still being a fourth trimester. So it's like, after you've done, after your body has done this amazing, incredible thing, you're still putting these unrealistic and very difficult expectations on your body without giving it any compassion, without understanding that it did its job. And I just feel like that is just so unrealistic. So I can... As like I said, as someone who doesn't have children, whenever I see that conversation arise, it just makes me so sad because I know that as women, you deal with a lot and I can only imagine what it must feel like for people, for you to feel like people are critiquing your body after just it doing what it was supposed to do and successfully giving birth to a child. It just blows my mind. And there's so many pictures online of people, of women and celebrities that just had babies and and they look amazing. And, um, you know, they look like they did before after they had their baby. And, you know, you have to remember too, that, um, you know, a lot of people like that are celebrities, like they unfortunately are put, they have pressure to jump back in with their personal trainer and get back to where they would have gotten naturally over time much quicker. And having, you know, postpartum was very challenging for me. I had a really hard time and I can only imagine that pressure on top of having a hard time postpartum that you had to work out all the time and only eat a certain thing and, and do something to get back there. And I'll tell you, even as a petite person, it took me an entire year to lose the weight I gained when I was pregnant. And whether that weight was my first child weight, which was more than 30 pounds, or that weight was my second child weight, which was only like 20 pounds. It didn't matter. It still took me time to, to get it, you know, for it to leave my body because my body just needed that extra time to slowly get back. And some people lose it faster, but it doesn't necessarily have to do with your size that you were to begin with. Cause I'm a petite person. It still took me a long time. And Mm -hmm. I'm also really into, you know, health and fitness. I'm super active and that's just the way I am. I love being active. I love um, exercising. It, it, it's, it's a, it's something that makes me feel strong and Mm -hmm. um, it helps with my anxiety. I mean, I do a combination of like yoga and I have a Peloton bike and 
I mean, whatever, whether it's a yoga class or, you know, crazy Peloton ride, I still get the same effect of like feeling like it's me time and it's the time that I can focus on me and, and mental wellness and things like that. But I mean, it, it's the pressure is on and I'll remember, I still remember um, when I first entered the online space, I had had my second child by then. um, And there was an account and I can't remember the name of it anywhere, but it was this, this young girl in Australia, maybe she was, or New Zealand. And she had just had a baby. And she posted a picture of herself, I'm not even kidding you, three weeks postpartum with her flat belly, which I don't know, like, you know, it's everyone's different. I did not have a flat belly at three weeks postpartum, but with her flat belly. And she basically said, my vegan diet is the reason that I am able to just go back to normal within three weeks, like all her normal clothes, all that stuff. And I really do not like that. Oh my God. I, my heart for all the, cause I had just had my second, like the, I I think my second was like a year and a half. I literally want, I, I was just, my mouth was open shocked and how toxic that is for so many women looking at that and saying, I'm not enough. Oh, my vegan diet that has nothing to do with it. Like, I just, yes, no, honestly, that is one thing being, well, again, I, people who follow me know this, but I identify as plant-based and I'm not vegan. With that being said, in a lot of vegan communities that I'm, that overlap with my community, I've noticed that people assume that veganism is, or they try to frame veganism as a substitute for um, health insurance or try to frame veganism as a way to kind of right. um, cure ailments and diseases or this one particular instance you're talking about you know kind of achieve unrealistic beauty standards and that is not where veganism is rooted in like the concept of veganism and that is also just really unproductive and harmful because again everybody's body is different what you eat is only a portion of the story. And and it's crazy because on social media, you would think that that person is, is super healthy, but you have no idea what they're going through mentally. I tell people all the time, when yep. I was, when I was my thinnest um, and I had, and I had lost probably like 25, 30 pounds. Um, and I looked quote unquote, my best that I had looked in a very long time. I was in a terrible place mentally, probably the worst place that I've been in the last five years. So I just always tell people that, you know, adopting a, a vegan lifestyle is definitely has benefits. Um, and if your body reacts to it, that's in a, in a, in a well way, in a, in a way where you feel as though you're thriving and you feel as though you're at your best, that's great, but that's not going to be a, re, um, a realistic expectation for everyone. So I just think, again, like it's really important for us to also not say that because we abide by a certain X type of diet, that is why we have the bodies we have, or that is why we have um, the type of health or lack of health conditions that we have, because that is not necessarily the case. Totally. And I identify as plant-based as well, not vegan, but I totally agree that it's, um, there's this assumption that you know, connected with plant-based and veganism and whatever diet you do, that it's always connected to a thin body. And um, that is the reason that, you know, and it's not true because like you said, there is so much more involved and you have to be adopting these, um, eating a certain way because we're not a hundred percent plant-based because I don't, I don't do the hundred percent anything just because of my anxiety um, in general. And it just stresses me out to have that expectation of myself, but Um, I think that we have to be doing these things for the right reasons too. Like, are you doing, uh, are you adopting a vegan diet or a plant-based diet to, because you think that you are, your body's going to look like the person you saw online that said she was vegan, or are you adopting it because you, you know, you feel best with mostly plants. Like that is, you know, a big question. And I'm with you, Brie. I was, um, when I went through this peak of anxiety that, um, when I went through early onset menopause in my early forties, um, and I started having these anxiety attacks and it, I was at my lowest and it is, I look back at pictures of myself and I, you know, when you're in it I, and I didn't go, I didn't try to lose weight. It's just when I have anxiety and stress, I actually lose weight. Cause I lose my appetite. 
That's just the way I've always been. And I had, I was such a ball of anxiety and I know I was conscious of like, I need to eat something. I'm not hungry, but I need to eat something, but I wasn't eating like I normally did. Cause when I'm happy and healthy, I like to eat and I like to mm-hmm. eat food and I like to eat, you know, I, you know, I go through peers where I'm like, okay, I need to lay off the French fries and the cocktails and, and you know, put some more greens into my body. But you know, it's just that, <laughs> yeah, that's just like that happy flow of like fun, you know? Right. But when I was going through that, um, I was eating the bare minimum and um, I literally remember the day that I finally said, I need help. And I went to the doctor and I wait and I got weighed and I was 92 pounds. It was, I, I, I like gasped because I, I don't own a scale. I just knew that I, I knew I was having a lot of trouble with anxiety and heart, you know, anxiety attacks. And I knew that I would lose some weight because that's the way it always has gone. And I could feel my clothes fitting loose, a little looser and whatever, but I didn't realize how bad it was until I went to the doctor. And I have an amazing um, general practitioner. She's an osteopath. And I walked into, you know, she walked into the room and she took one look at me and she looked at me and she goes, you're, you're, you have some major issues going on. Don't you? Like, I can just see you. You do not look well. You do not look like yourself. And I just burst out crying because I was just, and the worst part is like you said, is I went to my son's swimming lesson. Like, I think it was like right around that time that I went to the doctor And the first thing the swim instructor says to me is, oh my gosh, you've lost weight. You look amazing. And I remember thinking, I remember, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that hurt because I was at one of the lowest points that I was was in. And I'm like, I I look mm -hmm. amazing, but I feel like crap. So what's the right answer? I've definitely been there. And it's, and again, that's why it's, like I said, sometimes it's going to be very difficult to once you start seeing where die culture is, it's going to be difficult for you to be like, okay, I appreciate you um, for seeing me, but that was not a compliment. Like if you're like, I have, yeah. I've had to have those uncomfortable conversations with people because you the like you greeting me with a comment about my weight. Isn't a greeting to me. Because yeah. I'm in a place right now where I'm working through appreciating my body for who it is and what it is on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah. So like I, like I said, like I've totally been there. And it's one of those things like when you begin to see how so much of our casual conversations are filled with um, terms or phrases that are connected to diet culture too, you'll just begin to realize that it's really important for you to not give those types of greetings to other people because you right. may not know, you know, yep. where they're at in their life and and why they're experience and why they are experiencing, you know, weight loss or weight gain. Well, and for me, the one thing I've kind of thought about because you know, you I have friends that are like, you know, how do I look and do I look good in this or you know, I I'm tr- I'm working out really hard and do whatever, and I've been trying instead of saying like oh yeah, you totally, you know, because they ask like, do I look thin? Do I, whatever, do I look fat in this? I'm trying to say more along the lines of like, you look strong, you look, um, whatever, like Mm -hmm. it's more about being strong. And, and I'm really trying to also, you know, I'm on, I, I do Peloton. Like I'm trying to find, trying to get myself inspired by these women on that teach these Peloton classes that are strong, women. They're not necessarily like your typical, like tall, thin woman. I mean, I have a few women on there that I follow that are just like this one woman Tunde is like, she is the epitome of like badass. Like she is just (laughs) this strong, she always wears this bright red lipstick and she's um, African-American and she's dark and this bright red lipstick and these guns of blazing. And I'm like, you inspire me. You are strong. You are amazing. And I'm, I'm seeing myself connect more with those types of images versus the images that, you know, are infiltrated in magazines and all that kind of stuff. And I think right. that it's just rewiring your brain. For sure. But it takes I, practice, but it's worth it. Totally. Um, I have loved this conversation. I just think it's been so great. I, you know, diet culture is in every area of our being. I mean, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's the doctor's office, um, 
no matter the race, no matter the body size, like it's taking over. And I think the more we collaborate and band together of women of all different sizes, all different races and say, no, it doesn't matter, you know, where you are on that scale. Like we need to all just say no together. I think Mm -hmm. that that's, that's the important part. Yes, me too. Definitely. But thank you so much for being here. It's been awesome. This is such a great conversation. Such a great conversation. And again, you guys don't forget to follow Brie. Um, She's amazing. Um, And get on there and not only follow Brie, but, you know, look at all these people that you find that you aspire, look at who they're following too, and find new accounts to follow, fill your feed with definitely different sizes and colors and, and just, you know, just a rainbow of, of life versus the same old thing that you see everywhere. Um, but yeah, and all of you listening, thank you so much for listening and for being here. And, um, also, this conversation is going to be um, taken a little bit. Next episode, I'm talking about how mindfulness uh, goes beyond the yoga mat and how we can bring mindfulness into our everyday life. And combating diet culture is one of these you know, ways of you know, being present and mindful in the moment and who you are and honoring yourself. So um, yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Thanks, guys. We'll chat soon.